Hotspur. Leicester City. Leicester City are the champions of England. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of today's Corner Kick Podcast. We are past match day three and starting to get into the thick of the season. Unfortunately, we are without Seb, who has a thick throat at the moment, so it's just going to be Paul and I. Uh, but why don't we do our just two-way weather review? Paulie, how are things in New York? Uh, they're good. It's actually going to be a beautiful week this week. Uh, and then I think a beautiful like Labor Day weekend. Nice. So- it's it's nice. Lovely. Got got rid of the heat and the humidity, so it's, it's very nice. Oh, man, that's one of the lovely things about summer in Montana is that it can be 90 during the day, but so dry that it's almost a desert climb and gets down to like Oh, don't give me that dry heat crap. Oh, no, it's awesome. It's, it is beautiful. I mean, I've ne- I, live, I lived in the Midwest and the East Coast and in London. I'd never experienced anything but intense humidity until moving out here, and it is beautiful. Although no, the flip side so, of it is that we have smoke, so. We had all the humidity in the world. No, actually, no, last week the humidity completely dried out and my lips got chapped, so <laughs> I'm not cool with that. Like, that's, that's stuff that I'm supposed to deal with in the winter, not the summer. Dude, I have an arsenal of chapstick ever humidity. since moving to Montana. <laughs> you got you to gotta give me some humidity. Uh all right, well, let's get into the thick of the games here. Um, we start with a fixture that none of us predicted correctly last week, which is let's, Tottenham wait, Liverpool. Let's give Seb some credit here. Seb managed to pick eight out of the ten games correctly and still fall further behind us in the standings. <laughs> oh, that's true. You did. You made your point, though, Paulie. You made your one point against me, so now we're tied. I did. I did. I got... A nice little bonus game there. Oh no, it was just a regular good old game that I picked. It, that I picked yeah. correct. But none of us picked this one as uh, Tottenham and Liverpool ran out to a one-one draw. Um, I mean, do you think? Uh, first of all, you know, how did you see this game play out? And do you think that it, who do you think needed this point more? I mean, obviously it's early in the season, but I think that I don't know. I think that at this point. Liverpool are a little more disappointed in this result than Tottenham? Well, they well they should be disappointed because they played better and they should have they should have scored more. Uh Tom uh Mikel Vorm made that unbelievable save like 5 minutes into the game on um what was it Coutinho shot? Who needs this game more? There's two ways to look at that. One is um Tottenham needs this game more because they need to start if they want to mount a serious title challenge that we all thought they were going to be capable of mounting this season because they've gotten off to a slow start, which I don't think is the end of the world. They did that last year. They got off to a slow start last year uh, and they could write the ship. The other side of that is Liverpool needed this game more because Liverpool's opening schedule is brutal. They opened up Arsenal away, then Burnley away, Tottenham away. So I don't know why they're not playing at Anfield in the month of August. Yeah. Uh, then Leicester at home, Chelsea away, Hull City at home, and then it gets a bit easier. And right now that Hull City game is not as easy as it once looked. And with that rough schedule, it was like they needed to beat Burnley, which is the team they failed to beat. Uh, Liverpool need to get this. They got to find that consistency if we want to take them take them seriously. But I think Tottenham needed this game more, and I – I'd be more concerned if I was Tottenham right now than if I was Liverpool. Yeah. I I mean, I think 
I think I agree with you. I still think these are both teams that are going to be right there in the top four fight at the end of the season. Um, and I don't, I don't realistically think that either of them are going to be title challengers this year. I mean, I don't know that any of us really foresaw that, but I, I also think that, you know, it's a little frustrating for Liverpool, you know, having played a good game and then also not having been able to score from open play, you know? Right, yeah, no, it required a James Milner. By the way, both left backs scored in this game. Like, where <laughs> could you have bet on that? And uh, there's the bookies have a line for everything. What's there's a line on Luis Suarez biting someone. There's a line for that. What? Yeah, but that is like something that like we've seen it happen before. I'm like, oh, that's pretty likely to happen. Yeah. Where? Like, what's more likely to happen? Leicester City winning the the league last year or a one one draw where both left backs get the goal? Uh, one one draw with two left backs. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Uh, uh, granted, one of those left backs is like the ever versatile, but never really good at any of the positions. James Milner, James Milner. Yeah, I'd be. I mean, there are definitely concerns that I would have if I were Tottenham. Christian Eriksen's playing terribly this year. Uh, Eric Lamella is only good in the Europa League and against significantly inferior teams. Harry Kane. Looks like the Euro, the Euro 2016 Harry Kane, which is not a, that's not a compliment. And the biggest of them all, uh, Deli Ali needs to go back to wearing Ali on the back of his shirt. <laughs> I am a very anti first name person, and I believe strongly if you put your first name on the back of your shirt, first of all, you're an idiot. You look dumb. It, it looks very conceited and and arrogant, which most of the time players like. Like, if Cristiano Ronaldo wears Ronaldo on the back of his shirt instead of Cristiano, you're not arrogant enough to wear your first name on your shirt. I don't know about that. Alexis Sanchez does it, and I think he's the paragon of humility when it comes to international soccer stars. Okay. All right. I was trying to think of someone uh, who did it, and I knew that someone was going to give me, like, a South American example, which is why I was going to limit it to Europe. If you are (laughs) European and you wear your first name on your shirt, uh, you're a POS, and... (laughs) Uh, this Delhi guy, he sucks. Delhi Ali was really good. Uh, this Delhi guy, he sucks. Same way that this Memphis kid, he sucks. Like, put your last name on the shirt. I don't care if you don't have a connection to your parents, which is why you're doing it. Which is why you're doing that. Then change your goddamn name. I I love that, Polly. We get an anti Hotnam hot take, and I don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah. No. Well this done. is this is and and believe me, I am steadfast in this belief if you're wearing your first name on your jersey you're not going to be successful well i tell you a player moving on to our next fixture a player who is playing as well this season as Deli ali is playing poorly is eden hazard and he really shined in chelsea's three nil victory over burnley um i mean honestly i don't know how much to say there is about this match like really the best thing i think you can say from burnley is that because Chelsea were attacking so consistently, they forced keeper Tom Heaton into a couple good saves, and it could have been five. But they Chelsea just really dominated this match front to back. Uh, you know what the worst part about this is? Hmm. Pedro, where's Pedro on the back of his shirt? <laughs> my theory is now shot. Uh, I still think Ali needs to go back to, to Ali because he established himself as Ali. Yeah. But... Uh, my theory shot. This was the performance you needed to see from Chelsea. Uh, I'm still not sold on them. 
you beat Burnley at home. Congratulations. I, I think we, um, we overrated the Burnley win against Liverpool just because at times Liverpool looks so good mm-hmm. uh, that we want to believe they're a good team. Uh, I obviously do not want to believe that. And I've been steadfast about that. I've been the only one trying to be like, guys, I don't understand why we all think Liverpool are that good, especially now that we know what their strategy is. Their strategy is we're not even going to use our best striker as a striker. And we'll talk more about this when we get – oh, no, we, we just finished with Liverpool, so we're talking about it now. Yeah. How are you not going to – first of all, they didn't even sub on Daniel Sturridge. Second of all, how are you going to like look at your team and be like, oh, we have Daniel Sturridge and we have Roberto Firmino. Oh, let's go with Firmino. Yeah, I I mean I have no answer for that. I mean, I, this, my answer I guess would be that I think Klopp knows more than I do, but still. It, it, but imagine if imagine if like Arsenal actually spent the money and brought on and brought in Gonzalo Higuain, and Arsene Wenger went, oh, now we have this great striker. I'm going to use him as a sub to bring him on uh, and play him on the wing when I do use him because well Theo Walcott has to play as the central striker. Yeah, I mean that's, that's what uh, they're doing. That's an absurd thought experiment, but that's not a totally unjustified parallel. I'm like, oh, all right, we need a goal. Divock Origi, no, Sturge still on the bench. How are his hamstrings? Oh, they're fine. All right, then why are you not using the guy? That that blows my mind. So Liverpool aren't as good as as we think they are. Which well, I think we overrated their their win against Burn, uh, Burnley's win against them, and again. I said it last week. I'm going to keep my mouth shut about it because United are probably going to go to Burnley and lose also. Turf is not an easy place to play. Yeah. Uh, and what happens when Burnley – you know, the same thing that happened when Burnley went to United that year that they beat them 1-0. When they went to Old Trafford, they got trounced because you go to – you exit the, the small confines of home. You go to the big fields and the talented teams beat you. But this was the performance we needed to see out of Chelsea because they were very underwhelming – in that in those first two games mm-hmm. yeah and, i i mean i I, th- I think that they're still the like they're the favorite to place in this race right like i think that they're still n- not going to be city united in terms of the long place is third place right show a second yeah okay yeah yeah they're my favorite to finish third they're the only team i can see mounting a challenge to city and united but I think in in the end they're going to pull away. Yeah, I mean at this point though they're you know right where they need to be also sitting on nine points out of nine. So yeah, they're right up there, and yet I still think it's a two horse race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think Conte's style eventually they'll drop too many points. You're still relying on John Terry at the back, which uh, even Sam Allardyce wanted to even start relying on John Terry at the back again. What a like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Good thing that he didn't do that. Somewhere along the line, it's going to come back to bite you. Right now, we're we're just we're marveling over our most recent Chelsea memory. Right now is a three nil trouncing of Burnley, and it's important to remember that it's Burnley, like a, the you know that newly promoted side that was in the Premier League two years ago and was terrible. Yeah, well, well, I, it's an important grain of salt to take it with. I think, but they'll have. I, I mean, I think that Chelsea's. I mean, when when are we like? When is their first real test fixture? I mean, I guess you could say September sixteenth against Liverpool, but that's at home, and we've just been talking about how 
Liverpool are not that great. And then the following week, they play Arsenal, which, like, is it which Arsenal is going to show up? I mean, there's a huge question mark over them at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I think that at this point, we have to say that Chelsea are right in the title race, but we'll see if they're pushing us to say that they're going to do better than third two weeks from now. So, well, the next game, Paul, Jeez, you could they have an easier schedule to open up the season? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the thing is that they could drop points against Liverpool and Arsenal, right? Or they yeah, could take then, all three and both. When you go to the month of October, whole city, all right, that's, they won't be where they are by October. Leicester at home, United at home, November, they're for uh, Everton at home, Tottenham at home, uh, December. Uh, at least they go to Man City. I mean, I guess I should be excited about this because the back end is going to suck for them. Well, so. but I, even those home fixtures against Leicester and Tottenham, they could drop points against those teams. Not if not if Leicester and Tottenham don't start figuring it out. That's that's true, but I also think that it's very possible that that could happen in the course of the next month. Of course, I mean it's the Premier League. Anything happens, and you know, good teams can go into Stamford Bridge and get a and get a draw, especially like when you play when you're playing a. A manager like Antonio Conte, who kind of seems to play for draws at times. Yeah. But again, Tottenham need to Tottenham and Leicester need to figure it out. They need to start scoring. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll see if they can do that after the international break. Uh, but then the next fixture, Paul, is one that you got on the nose—a one-one draw between Crystal Palace and Bournemouth. Um, I mean, I this is a game where, uh, yeah, I think that Palace have to. You know, for the Palace fans, it was an emotional kind of elation at the very end of the match because they saved a point with a stoppage time equalizer. But on the whole, they've got to be kind of frustrated with this result because they dominated possession. They had, you know, way more shots, way more shots on target. And, you know, it's got to be, on the one hand, it's always nice to get that last-ditch success and the goal at the very end, but... Uh, they really should have gotten more from this game, don't you think? I think that Palace is just—they're the team. They're not—they're the, not the Crystal Palace we saw at the beginning of last year. They're the—they're the Crystal Palace that we saw at the end of last year, and they're going to be in a big-time relegation battle this year. Yeah, I'm—I I'm, I still think they might be able to secure safety, uh, like maybe as much as a month before the end of the season. I mean, I, I don't think that they're going to be anything. Cert- I don't think they're going to be the top half of the table even, you know. Kind no, of the but lower 16th mid, place but. is like, 16th place is pretty realistic for them. Mm, yeah, but I, I think that they'll get enough points that they won't be, you know, mired in the last three week of discussion of who's going to be in the championship next well, year. Well, they signed, they signed Ben Teke, didn't they? Did they? I feel like they did. Hmm. Yeah. Whoa, that's not what I wanted to do. All right, here we go. Yeah. All right. Ben so they signed Benteke. The question is, like, who's who's gonna provide the service to Benteke? They lost Yannick Boazi. And you know, wh- like where's the rest of the squad? They might lose I think Johan they- Kabai's got some good distributive questions. What happened to him? Like, what happened to you? Like, did he die or something? Like, I haven't heard his name since the first half of the season last year. <laughs> yeah. What happened to Yon Kabai? I mean, I think he had, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, he's, well, especially because several years ago, I remember him being tapped as, like, the next great, 
midfield player coming out of France, but that was six years he ago. Was. Now he's thirty and has not he developed was. into that. He went to he went to um he went to Newcastle yeah. when they had that French invasion mm-hmm. and played for Newcastle a bit and was really good that PSG signed him. Oh God, that's right. I was I was because I knew that he made some kind of upward movement from Newcastle, but I'd forgotten since it was out of the Premier League, and I never watched Ligue 1. PSG signed him where, uh, yeah, and he won back-to-back league titles with PSG. Uh, and then I guess they have, like, Blaise Matuidi and everybody else that, you know, he was surplus to their requirements yeah. that, Crystal, that Crystal Palace was able to sign him on the cheap slash uh, we have money because we're a Premier League team. He was really good at the beginning of last season, and now, like, where's he gone? I remember in November looking at, like, when I first noticed it, when I was like, wait, this France team has, uh, they have Johan Goodbye, they have Matuidi, they have Paul Pogba, they have Morgan Schneider, and they have, uh, they have Griezmann. They have all these, and, and this was back when it was like, hey, they still have Kareem Benzema. Hey, this France team's going to be really good. Well, Kabai barely even made the squad yeah. to go to, to, to play at the Euros. And he didn't even get on the field. What happened to him? Yeah. I mean, I, but the thing is that, case in point, how he was playing last year versus how he's playing now, uh, this is a Crystal Palace side that still has a lot of that talent. And, I mean, I think that, you know, they could switch on midseason, take a bunch of points, and then kind of coast mediocrely into safety once again. Obviously, if I'm a Palace supporter, that's not exactly what I want to see, especially from an increasingly talented group of players. But this is this is a squad that I just, I don't see them really struggling for safety come the end of April. I, th- I, I see them in the conversation of the bottom four or five teams, maybe the beginning of March, but I, I think that they'll they'll be able to put it together and do it. Uh, I just, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm looking at the squad and, you know, Lee Chung Young, this is in 2009 anymore. Um, you know, Ezekiel Fryers is nothing. Wilfred Zah, I mean, Andres Townsend's your one promising player, but how much can he do? There's a reason Andres Townsend hasn't really caught on at any club. He just, like, gets flashes of brilliance. Wilfred Zaha at this point, I mean, crap or get off the pot. We've been waiting for you to become like a great player for years. Where is it? You made the England squad when you were playing back at, for Crystal Palace in, in the championship. That's how much promise you had. And where's that gone now? Yeah. Now Tottenham are trying to come after you, which is just a dumb play for Tottenham because, yeah, again, it really is. You know, he hasn't caught on at any of the clubs that he's been at. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we'll, we'll see. I still think that Palace can like make a go of it down the stretch. I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think they will ultimately be safe. I think Christian Benteke will be able to get you safe enough. I just don't think they'll be ever, they'll be ever feeling safe about their safety until the very end. Okay. I just, and, and on the other side, this is the difference a year makes. Like a year ago, especially at the beginning of the season, Bournemouth wins this game. Yeah. yeah and I, I and the fact that. that Bournemouth isn't winning right now, I'd be very worried about their safety. Yeah, I would actually say at this point that I think Bournemouth are my candidate to be more in the relegation battle. Than I think they will. Palace. At this point now, I think they will get relegated. I think preseason I didn't pick them to get relegated, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that is because I didn't want them to. Yeah. 
Unless uh, well, they did but so well every, the first season. Oh. Everybody that uh, picked them to get relegated, I understand where you're coming from, and I think yeah. you're going to be right. Well, the next fixture is another team with... Uh, Three games into the season, let's write off teams right now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but Stoke City is another club that is looking like they may end up in the relegation battle, currently sitting very bottom of the table with one point and a minus four goal differential. Uh, they played... a pretty hard-fought game against Everton. I think Everton always looked the more likely side to win it. They had more than twice as many shots, you know, nine times as many shots on target. Uh, But it still, I mean, Stoke still defended well, and it took not only an Everton penalty, but an Everton penalty that went off the post and then off the back of Shea Given for an own goal to get three points at 1-0 in this game. Okay, so talk about teams that, like, what the hell's going on with them? Stoke City, figure yeah. your stuff out. What, like, where are you? What are you doing? And I don't know if you saw, but one of the gooniest but most successful moments in this year's Premier League season was Peter Crouch clearing a shot off the line, which is just like a giraffe on stilts. Peter Crouch backwards. played in this game? <laughs> yeah, he did. He started. Figure your stuff out, though. And I, I mean, I guess Ronald Coleman, surprise, surprise, has taken what was a good squad. We forget Everton have been a good squad the last two years. They just couldn't defend to save their life. And surprise, surprise, Ronald Coleman has turned them into a pretty capable squad right away. Mm-hmm. So let's remember that going forward. Um, yeah, no, every, Stokes got to figure it out because they're at risk right now of dropping out of their what seems to be like a stranglehold on that eighth, ninth position that they seem to have in the league. They might fall. Yeah, well, I mean, sitting very bottom of the league after three games with their next fixture coming up against Tottenham. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it's early. They've got plenty of time. They're too talented to finish that low. Yeah. They have a lot of talent. And, I mean, this is the beauty of FIFA and the Premier League right now is, is there's nothing encapsulates this week better than, okay, like, we're going to start our season now. I, I understand a lot of you didn't have a preseason because all of your players were off playing tournaments, so it'll take two, three games uh, to get back into the swing of things. So then you play three games, and it's like, all right. International break. Go back to their international team so we could start this process over in two weeks. Uh, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Oh, and you might and oh, you just signed a new player. All right, well, you signed him. Now he's going to go to his to his international team, and you're just going to have to integrate him into the squad two weeks from now. Well, fortunately, that only happened with one of Arsenal's signings. <laughs> oh, Arsenal made a signing. What's that? You said Arsenal made a signing. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll get to that when we get to Arsenal's match. Um, yeah, I I think that Everton are a team that let's. Uh, their ceiling under Komen could be pretty high. I don't think they're going to be top four battle, but they could be in Europa League conversation if they you know, keep playing well. And this is, you know, this is a result that they ground out. Like they had, they played well. They had a ton of shots on target. You know, they forced Stoke into some last ditch defending and good saves. It took kind of a goony penalty to get them all three points, but they got all three points nonetheless. Yeah, it was it was a good performance from Everton, and they're I think they're going to do some good things this year. Yeah, likewise. Well, on over to the King Power Stadium, we saw Leicester City 
run 2-1 victors out against Swansea after uh, getting goals from Jamie Vardy in the 32nd minute and Wes Morgan in the 52nd uh, before Swansea pulled one back in the 80th. Um, did did Leicester do enough in this game, Paulie, to convince you that they've got a chance at maybe not necessarily defending their title, but you know being in the top four conversation once again this season? Uh, they haven't. I, I picked them to to finish fourth this year. They haven't done enough to convince me through three games that I should be confident in that in that pick. I did like how they did score a Jamie Vardy goal, which was an exact replica of every goal he oh, scored. Oh yeah, just like the the long ball, speed, good control, great. Finish. Um, I like I like that they're still capable of doing that. That Vardy's still able to do that. But I, at the same time, I think Vardy's only going to score about fifteen goals this year. Yeah, I think you're so, probably right. It's it's going to be tough. They need to figure out something else. But again, if West at this point, this isn't. Remember, at the beginning of the year last year, they couldn't defend to save their life. Leicester's defending at this point now is good enough um, that if you score two, if they score two goals, they should get three points in, in most of those matches. Mm-hmm. However, the one thing I do have to be concerned of is all these anti Leicester rules that they put in about the holding on free kicks and stuff in the box. With the defenders like tackling guys, there seems to be a crackdown on that. We've seen a couple of penalties given for that already this year, and I think those are all anti Robert Huth and Wes Morgan rules. Well, yeah, though I don't think that they're necessarily, un, you know, I I don't know. I I take them to be more neutral than totally just simply anti Lester. I'm I'm not going to say that they were made with Lester in mind, but go back and watch Lester's game last year, and no one took advantage of the fact that they didn't call it more than Lester. Yeah. Yeah. And you know we saw remember that wild game, that wild two two game against West Ham when the title was like still in the balance, mm-hmm. and they got that penalty late where they were to tie it, but they there were a couple of penalty shots earlier because you know like Robert Huth was tackling people and Robert Huth got tackled. That game is one of the reasons why this rule is like the crackdown in this rule is coming around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, actually, and speaking of penalties in the Leicester City match this weekend, Leicester had a penalty save and they could have had three goals in that. Well, because Ryan Morris just keeps missing penalties. Yeah. I mean, come on, guy, come on. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure he should be the one stepping up to the spot. I don't understand why he is. Yeah, well, and for Swansea's sake, they've got to be. I mean, I don't. I think that they were totally outplayed in this match, so they can't be that frustrated by not getting a point. But you know, with getting a goal back, it was within sight before you know they weren't able to do it because, as you said, Paulie Lester's defending looks like it's a little more up to snuff at the moment. Uh, but Swansea have to go face Chelsea. Well, they face Chelsea at home, but still, that's their it's next picture, and that's not a game that I think that they're likely to win. It's funny because. For the first, for the whole first two weeks, I was sitting there being like, "Guys, Swansea, Swansea's not as bad as we think they are." Like we're remembering bad Swansea from the middle of the year last year, and they're not that bad. And then when I was picking this game, I was like, "Oh, Leicester's taking on terrible Swansea. They'll win this easily." Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, where where are Swansea? They got to be somewhere in the middle of that, and and that's for us to figure out or for them to show us where. Yeah. To, I, I think they've got a lot to prove still at this point, and I'm not sure if the road to proving that is going to begin against Chelsea, but yeah, we'll see. We were just talking earlier on the show that we're waiting to see Chelsea prove their consistency, so that 
that will be a moment for them to do so as well. So in our next game, Southampton and Sunderland played out to a 1-1 draw. Um, This was one that saw no goals until the 80th minute when Jermaine Defoe converted a penalty, but then Sunderland's lead lasted only five minutes before Southampton equalized through Jay Rodriguez. I mean, do you think, as Southampton now have two points from three games, I mean, if you're a Saints supporter, are you ready to reach for the panic button at this point? I mean, like, you know, I think that we expected a little more from them coming into this season. I mean, we, we skeptically did. Because remember, they lost, again, they lost another one of their great players, um, and they lost their manager. Mm-hmm. So it's still, there's still a, uh, an, ad, an, ad, an adaption period. Is that the word I'm looking for, I guess? Adjustment, adaptation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, again, it's so hard to do this because it's, it's three games, and it's like it's, it's yeah. the first chunk of the season because at the be- until you get to December, the games come in three-game chunks. Yeah. Which is ridiculous but yeah well as you said thanks fifa <laughs> yeah uh, well i'll i'm uh, let me uh i'll be the peeking behind the wall meme right now i'm kind of excited for this international break yeah I usually am, i hate them i'm kind of excited i am too will and we'll get all into uh the international break on our next show um, i don't hate this one yeah i so i think that as much as you know, we were talking about Everton being able to kind of push up through the top of the table, and, you know, after three games, they're in third place. But I think that, you know, we've seen Southampton be able to weather the loss of key players year in, year out for, boy, really the last five years, essentially. But th- I think that the loss of Ronald Koeman is going to impact them more than you know, any individual player and even perhaps all those players' departures cumulatively, that he is going to be great for Everton and that much more of a loss for Southampton in the end of the season. Well, here's the thing. If there's one thing that Southampton can do, it's develop players. Uh, I mean, that just happens every year that happened before their resurgence. Their their academy is still going to be top-notch regardless of who is pulling the strings of the senior team. And they're good enough that they could sell crappy players. I mean, look at Liverpool's team. Liverpool's team is a bunch of crappy Southampton players, and the jury's, the jury's still out on, a, on Sadio Mane because that guy looks like he's uh, his pace breaks the game open, and his uh, head is, makes him a liability to get sent off at, at, at all times. And to go back to that Liverpool game, Sadio Mane, because I did uh, two years ago, whenever I got FIFA 15 or something, I did a manager mode with Southampton because I figured they have a bunch of young guys that we could develop and it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And Sadio Mane is exactly what he was in FIFA. He's a guy that could get behind the defense because uh, he's really fast and he can do all this stuff that really fast. But then when it comes to like accurate passing and accurate shooting, that's a whole, it's a wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, but the question is, and Southampton seems to develop those every year. You know, Adam Olana, terrible. Not terrible, <laughs> but he is, like, just average. Yeah. To the point where it's like, well, like, why is England still selecting the guy? Like, come on. Um, they haven't had the next one of those step up yet. James Ward-Prowse is like Wilfred Zaha. We're still waiting for you. And at, at a certain point, we shouldn't be waiting any longer. Yeah. And that's what they need. 
Yeah. I I mean I don't know. I think that I, I think that Southampton you, <laughs> you like this one, Paulie. I think that Southampton's success this season may hinge on the uncovering and success of a Marcus Rashford, right? Like a player from their youth ranks who makes a big impact come January, February, March, and is able to help kind of push them over the line. But I think that over the line for them is going to be trying for the top half of the table. And yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, gonna, they're, they're certainly yeah. going to fall. I mean, I, st- I still think that they, you know, boast one of the best keepers in the Premier League. So, you know, they're always going to be able to kind of grind out points in some sense just on the back of – Forster, if he's in the form that we saw him play, certainly the form we saw him play, speaking of January, February, March of this calendar year. I mean, you know what's not going to help them at all is the fact that they actually made the Europa League this year. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, the poison chalice comes back to bite, bite us once again. And well, yeah, but I mean, this is people are gonna. Oh, yeah, that's gonna suck going to Kazakhstan and Romania. They're going to, they're going to Italy. They're going to the Czech Republic, and they're going to Israel. Dude, they have a f- fantastic travel schedule. <laughs> wow, uh, Milan, Prague, and uh, Beresheva is kind of in a in an area of Israel where you probably don't want to go. But geez, yeah. that's that's a that's a schedule. Good yeah. time to be a Southampton fan. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it's going to be even better for their fans, that's for sure. Except except if you actually want to root for a winner in the Premier League this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why you take your European travel days while you can get them. Yeah. Uh, well, the next fixture is uh, Arsenal finally playing, like, maybe a team that could potentially sort of look like they might finish in the top half of the table. Uh, at least in the first half, anyway, as they ran out 3-1 winners against Watford with a blitz of three first-half goals. It was enough to see them over the line to take all three points. Uh, Paulie, did you get to see this one? What did you think of this match? I didn't get to see this one, um, but this is, it. this is what Arsenal do. They, they trip coming out of the starting line, uh, and then to make up for that, they all of a sudden they turn it on, they run extra hard over the next few, few games, come roaring out to get to get themselves up to the top, to the front of the race. And then, you know, they had to work so hard to overcome that stumble out of the blocks that they pull a hemi. And then their their downfall comes in October, November-ish. November, I guess, when we That's, change the That is a frustratingly accurate description of how Arsenal's seasons have gone in the last So we're now, you know, you, you stumbled and then you stumbled again. And we're now in the time where they're going to be sprinting past everybody. Yeah. So I'll, you know, I'll give them some blowouts. I don't think United play them uh, during this stretch. We unfortunately did play you guys last year yeah. during this stretch, and that did not end well for us. But, you know, this is I, – I would assume you're holding your breath right now during the international break that everybody comes back healthy. Oh, yeah. And, and I would say Santi Cazorla especially. Um, although, actually, I don't know if he got a call up to the Spanish squad. I mean, that team's tough to break into, and he's been injured. So I haven't looked at their squad particularly. But he's a player that played really well in this match. I mean, so on the one hand, this game was extremely encouraging. Obviously, anytime you score three goals in the first half, that's a great thing. Um, I think that 
Arsenal's third goal when Alexis Sanchez picked out the run of Mesut Ozil, even though so frequently it's the other way around. That was a particularly encouraging moment of play. Um, and, you know, as Polly, you were talking about last week, Ozil's tendency to kind of come into the season with an international hangover. It was nice to see him. Yeah, where was that? <laughs> I, was, I researched that take. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but I, so I, I think the the glass half full take on it that I'll say is Granite Xhaka looked fantastic. Um, I mean, he did exactly what I was hoping he could do from a deep lying midfield position is not only provide the kind of gritty tackling cover, although we saw Kazorla make a great tackle as well, but you know, that Kakalen has traditionally in the last couple of years been for yeah. Arsenal, yes. but also play better deep lying midfield passes than Coughlin is usually able to. I mean, he was, you know, spraying passes from the center of midfield. He played a great ball down the channel, which is what released Alexis Sanchez for assisting that goal to Ertzel. Um So, I mean, he played, I think he played great. And with, you know, our one real signing, real first team signing, you know, because Rob Holding, Takuma Asano, great. I'm glad you're depth in the squad, but you are not players that are going to be quick on the team sheet unless we're really in the lurch, which we were the last two weeks. But Granite Jaka playing well. We have uh, Mustafi coming in from Valencia. We have Lucas Perez coming in as a striker from Deportivo. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, our one summer signing really shining, and then with finally, finally two more appearing to be on the way, having passed medicals in London on Friday – you know, that is encouraging. But at the same time, the tail of the tape in this game shows kind of a sneaky close match. Because Arsenal only had one more shot on target than did Watford. And Arsenal only had 55% of the possession, which... Possession is a terrible, a terrible metric. Well, yeah, I agree. But, but generally, by games that Arsenal dominate, it's, you know, a little more than that. But I, I think that the fact that... So Watford had 14 shots and six on target. Arsenal had 10 and seven on target. So granted, yeah, okay, they have got a better percentage of their shots getting on frame. But nonetheless, you're allowing Watford to take more than a dozen shots and get half a dozen of them on target. Like that is, that's not ideal. And so I I think that this is a match that I was thrilled to see Arsenal just kind of blow the doors off in the first half. But there's still a lot to be done, and I think the biggest question mark is how Mustafi shets, slides in into the center of defense next to Koscielny, right. and how quickly he can adjust, and how well he can do at you know nipping those attacks out before they get shots off, and see if we can't get that number down in order to you know maybe not let the other team scrap a goal in the second half when you've got the game essentially in the bag. I just want to say, because you said it when you said Santa Cazorla actually made a really nice tackle. This idea that like creative midfielders can't play defense, where did that come from? Well, I, I don't think that anybody thinks that that's entirely the case, but I think you that hear it's it all the time. Like you hear it all the time yeah. being like, oh, you know, like he can only he can play as a number 10 or you could play him out wide because you can't play him any deeper in the field because how will he survive there? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if you play him out wide, you know, he's not as good as if he was in the middle of the field, but you can't play him behind the number. 
there's so many players like that where, you know, they say it about Juan Mata. He can't defend. I've seen him defend plenty of times. Yeah. They used to say it about Paul Scholes. He was, he was a defender. He defended plenty of times also. He actually played as a deep-lying midfielder. Uh, they say it when they talked about Rooney last year. Uh, how would you drop him into the midfield? His defending is going to be oh, suspect. I think that's BS because I've always thought that Rooney had a really high work rate in defense. Yeah, but and, a, and but defense. a player whom I think that is true of is Mesut Erzo because – he can. He just if he's, doesn't he, defend. I, exactly, and but so it is. It is precisely true of him that he's so great in playmaking and creation that you play him the number ten role well, or so either of the wings. Been but you can't kind of like a wing. He's more of like a a a, a, cut, a cut inside winger like Arjen Robin. Yeah. Yes. That's... And and you know like you could say the same thing about Ronaldo, but I mean. In Sir Alex Ferguson's book, he said Ronaldo didn't defend, but that's also because we told him don't defend. We told him don't worry about defending, which is why Rooney constantly had to cover for Ronaldo and play on the left, because I said don't worry about defending. You worry about attack. Like we'll we'll figure it. Like we'll figure out the defending for you. You just worry about scoring goals for us. Well, I think and part of it is also also kind of the same way. Yeah, but with Sp- Santi Cazorla specifically, he's like. Five six and all of 107 pounds. So you don't usually think of him as the player who's going to go out there and boss the other team off the ball. He's a central midfielder. And like the fact that people call some of these central midfielders that they say they have to play an attack because they can't defend, it's just, it drives me nuts. And this is part of the over-specialization of the game. And it makes things more confusing when sometimes you just, you need to simplify it. Yeah, well, I mean, I and think I that... The, uh, right now, I am being the British fifty-five-year-old, like crusty old old dude, like which is the equivalent of um, the American fifty-five-year-old crusty old dude who you know only talks about how great baseball is and tries to dismiss soccer whenever whenever you can. I understand that that's how I sound, but sometimes simplifying things is better. Oh God! I got into and like um, if you want to play Santi Cazorla as a de- in a deeper midfield role, it'll be okay. His defending will pass. Yeah, um, I mean he's a veteran, so. But right. I, I, I and at the same time, like would I put a guy who's you know more of a defender next to him? Yes, but his defending will pass. Yeah. I got into an argument with a guy at a bar in Fort Collins, Colorado, while watching the Euros earlier this summer, when he was trying to suggest to me that more people watch NASCAR around the world than soccer. And I was just like... Around the world? I know, I know. I was just like... Like, I, I just... I laughed this until I was starting to get angry. It was just like, all right, I've got to go. I can't... I, I can't even... I can't even listen to this anymore. Europeans laugh at NASCAR because it's like the ultimate American thing. Like, because yeah. Europeans love, love... They love auto racing. Yeah, I know. is massive... And Europeans look at NASCAR and be like, oh, Americans, it's like you're so dumb you can't figure out how to race a car down a road that you just made it left turns. Yeah. Yeah. It was like maybe NASCAR and Formula One combined could hold a candle to soccer, but I, I still don't think that. No, they can't hold a candle to close. Uh, all right. Well, Paulie, I know that you will enjoy talking about our last fixture of Saturday, which was Hull City against Manchester United. Hull gave a. I mean, a really strong performance in defense and pushed United right to the finish. But then there in the 92nd minute, it was... Fergie uh, time! Yeah, Rooney to your boy, Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Yeah, it was about time that he got a chance to play. And again, he comes on and like he did in every, uh, in every Euro 
in every game at the Euros. He came on, he changed the game for the better. He all of a sudden looked very dangerous. I just remember when he came on, he made that run through two or three defenders, forced a really good save from Hull. Uh, again, and this is the difference between the Jose Mourinho era and the Louis van Gaal era, in that this was a game that if Louis van Gaal was our manager, we'd draw nil-nil. Yeah. Well, or or maybe lose 1-0 because I... No, I, I, well, here, the, the, the reason that I'm, I'm saying that is that I saw very little from Luke Shaw last year to impress me, but he essentially saved a goal from a great dangerous ball to the edge of the six-yard box in I think, the 25th or 26th minute, which I was like, oh, well on you, Luke Shaw. I guess you can well, defend. Uh, well, no, Luke Shaw was at, like, Luke Shaw was probably the biggest loss the team had last year. Yeah. Uh, people, it was noticeable right away, and not just because Marcos Rojo is terrible, but because Luke Shaw over the first uh, seven weeks of the season before he broke his leg was that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was a very – it was a different Luke Shaw than the one that showed up uh, his first year at United and like couldn't get a game because he was out of shape and, and poor. This is a new Luke Shaw. There's a reason that he stepped right back into the England squad. It's, he is that good. Um, yes, so last year that might be a goal because Marcos Rojo is your left back and that would end terribly. Or maybe Mateo Darmian is your left back, in which case the guy would have been even more wide open. <laughs> um, or maybe Tim fosu is the left back. In which case, I, sometimes Tim Fosimensa is where he's supposed to be, and uh, sometimes he's not. Uh, what we didn't have was last year, no matter what the score was, De Gea always had to make an unbelievable save in the last five minutes to preserve whether it was a win or to preserve a draw. Yeah. We didn't have to make one of those. And, I sa- and this, again, you know, this is the difference. Under Mourinho, we win these games. You could yeah. say, you know, you only won 1-0 and, you know, you thought you dominated Again, I brought it up on Friday when we, when we previewed these things, and I said that they've been attacking at the same terrible rate that they were last year, and that was a bit of a concern, and I'm pretty sure they blew that out of the water. Yeah, they had 29 shots, and they, yeah. forced, they forced Hull City, um, they forced uh, Jakubovic, Jakubovic, that's his name, uh, into eight and several eight saves, several of which were very fine indeed. And let's not and, and like that's and that's not it because this wasn't just Whole City's goalkeeper. This was there were several times where just Whole City defenders inside the six yard box were yeah, just throwing themselves clear, at the yeah, ball. Clearing the ball. I mean, Ibrahimovic should have had two goals. He had that header that just went over the bar in the first half. He should have scored twice. Pogba had two shots that just missed wide. Now I do understand that. Uh, like Pogba's shot chart uh, went everywhere but the actual target. I don't think he even forced the goalkeeper to make a single save, but he had two that just curled wide. Uh, Wayne Rooney should have scored in the first half. This was just a matter of sometimes you just need to put in a guy who actually has confidence and actually knows how to put the ball in the net. And I mean, kudos to Marcus Rashford. The guy, the, I mean, Mourinho could have. There was no need to play Zlatan Ibrahimovic 90 minutes in either of the first two games. Yeah. He could have just made a like-for-like like sub or subbed Rooney off and brought, on, uh, and brought on Rashford in the first two games. He doesn't do it, and Rashford doesn't let that affect him. He comes on, immediately starts playing well, and, and right place, right time at the end. Like, yeah. his, his, that earlier shot that I talked about where he went between two defenders and caused a really good save, that yeah. one was worth the goal. And then the goal actually was just one of those Javier Hernandez, I'm in the right place at the right time. 
he yeah. scores. Yeah, I think he showed. I think he proved that he was on form maybe even more with that bit of play that forced Jakubovic into the fine save, but, you know, scored the winner. Uh, and actually, Rooney did great in beating the Rooney's been the fantastic. Byline. Rooney's going to have a comeback year. I think Rooney's going to score 15 goals this yeah. year. I, th- I, I thought he was going to do that last year, but then again, I... Again, the Louis van Gaal system didn't allow Rooney to do anything. Yeah. And... Yeah. I think he's going to have a comeback year. It's, I'm just, I'm so tired of the goddamn narrative of that he's done and washed up and he's terrible. And how long can, can United survive? I mean, people are making it look like United have four points in the first three games. Like that this Rooney guy is killing their offense in the middle of the field. I mean, he's got two assists already. He has a goal. How many goals have we scored? We scored six goals and he's been involved in three of them. Mm-hmm. One of them was a penalty. So that's three out of five. And remember, we had this conversation at the beginning of the year when I was skeptical about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and Seb said, look, he can do nothing for 89 minutes, but if he scores that winning goal, what do you care? Yeah. It's the same thing with Rooney. He can, yeah. he can have 65 minutes where his touch lets him down and he disrupts the play, but if he scores one and sets one up, what do you care? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that you know, United... Got having the, said all that, having said all that, and we'll talk about this more later in the week, no reason for him to be in the England team. He should not be on that England. In, in Do you think that he should have retired from it? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, he, it's, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, you got to give him the dignity to have his own international retirement because he is England's all-time leading scorer. You don't want to land in Donovan him. Now... Having said that, if you drop him now, you're not necessarily landed dominating him. It's like, don't use him to qualify for the World Cup and then drop him. At that point, you have to take him. But I think when Sam Allardyce got the job, his first phone call should have been to Rooney begging him to retire. Yeah. And Uh, the more I... I I mean, at this point, though, it's just you look at it and we'll talk about it more. I wrote about it yesterday. They listed him as a midfielder. Is he real... that might be his best position. I, I think it is. It might be his best position. But the way you have to redo the entire squad just to fit him in, because I think the team probably would be better with Vardy and Kane up top, and you can't really do that if Rooney's playing midfield. Uh, if you wanted to use him as an attacker at this point in his life, is he better than Vardy? Is he better than Kane? Is he better than Sturridge? No. Yeah. Why is he there? I, I don't know, though, but to, because at the same time, you're talking about what fantastic form he's in in the most competitive league in the world. So I don't think he's if, in great form. I just think he's going to have a bounce-back year. Okay. Well, uh, okay. I don't, I don't see how those two things could not both be true at the same time. I think, I think he'll score like when the opportunities present themselves to it. I don't think you're ever going to see it like, oh my God, Wayne Rooney's on fire, like the way that we used to see that. Yeah, but I mean, still though. The way, like, that, the goals, the way that the goals used to come in bunches, I mean like 15 goals is a good return, but that's less than every other game. And you know, he's going to have that game where he scores twice. Uh, maybe like, Maybe when Ibrahimovic, if Ibrahimovic ever gets injured, he'll, he'll, he'll take penalties and maybe he'll get two or three that way. Uh, you know, like, I think he's going to have, like, a quiet 15 goals. Yeah. I, I still, I mean, I don't, well, I, not that I've ever wished to be Sam Allardyce, but if I'm Sam Allardyce, then I've, I've got I've to choose Rooney if he's even a little bit on form and if he's available. 
Well, um, where are you playing? I mean, we'll talk about this on Friday. Yeah, we'll you... talk about this on Friday. But um, you know, the more I the more I think about it, the more I think we should have sold him when Sir Alex Ferguson retired. And I understand why we didn't, but if you, I, I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson has has that Bill Belichick white like quality about him, where he just seems to know that a player only has one more good year in him, and he'll get rid of that player a year too early rather than one year too late, yeah. and he has. Tremendous success doing it. And, I mean, you think about it, Fergie pulled the plug on Beckham and Van Nistelrooy and all these other guys. His track record with doing that, brilliant. Like, it's very rare for a player to have left United and um, made a big impact somewhere else after they leave United with the exception of uh, paying, like, 89 million pounds to send Paul Pogba out on a four-year loan. Yeah. That's, um, that's a, a big exception, but well, you got. But that's like back. the one exception, and that's the very end of Fergie's career when yeah. he was starting to lose it a bit. But he, if he, Fergie said, like Fergie was ready. If Fergie stays on for another year, Rooney's off the team, mm-hmm. and maybe we should have been like, well, there's a reason that Fergie was ready to get rid of this guy. Yeah. Well, in the uh, first of two Sunday games, we got a Tony Pulis special nil-nil draw between West Bromwich Albion and Middlesbrough. Uh, with guess who in goal for Burrah? Second game, Brad. Well, Victor Valdez is hurt. Yeah. Oh God, Brad Guzan. The EPL, just like just when we think we're done, they pull you back in. I know. And now and now we're gonna have to watch Brad Guzan play twice this week. Oh God, he kept unless Jordan Clifton really throws a wrench into that and and starts Howard in one of those games because he's been starting also. Yeah. I hope so. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway. Uh, so this is a game that had, uh, you know, Middlesbrough dominated possession. West Brom got a few more shots off. They both got two on frame. Both saved. Nil-nil. A point for each. I can You can probably tell by the tone of my voice that I'm not thrilled about this <laughs> match. I was, at, so. I was at work, so I actually watched this game. And here's what I have to say about it. It happened. <laughs> okay. It happened. Trust me. All right. Well, I'll take your word for that, Paulie. Uh, the next game on Sunday was a little bit more exciting than the Tony Pulis nil-nil draw fest that was that one. Uh, Manchester City lined up against West Ham United at home at the Etihad, and Raheem Sterling really shown. You know, he talked about Eden Hazard earlier at the beginning of this show and how he's kind of broken out of the gate after um, less than stellar year last year. And Sterling looks to be perhaps ready to put together a similar campaign this year. Paulie, what did you think of this game? What do you think Roy Hodgson does every time he sees Raheem score, Sterling score another goal? <laughs> he goes a little great. Raheem Sterling is pretty much the reason that Roy Hodgson doesn't have a job anymore. Um, no player at the Euros was worse for England than Raheem Sterling. And now all of a sudden, and that's not, that's not like Raheem Sterling came off of a great season and then was terrible. Raheem Sterling had an awful year last year and was terrible over the summer. And suddenly under Pep Guardiola, he's fantastic again. Mm-hmm. City jumped out. What, what was it? They won 3-1, right? Yep, correct. And they jumped out to that 3-0 lead. And they scored that first goal like in within six minutes, and even that felt late. I remember putting this game on, and I'm like – looking up six minutes later when they scored that first goal and I was like, oh, that took a while. Um, they were that good 
I was walking home from work during the second half, so I missed it. I came back, and I'll take Arlo White's word for it. Second half, much different game. Uh, that at least gives me some satisfaction that City are human. They are beatable. Uh, but, yeah, this is, this is going to be fascinating to watch City and United duke it out at the top of the table the entire season. Yeah, it, it really is. It, and this is not like a, all right, I, I have faith because, you know, all right, City, you know, Kevin De Bruyne will get hurt of it or Aguero will get hurt and they're going to struggle. No, because Aguero will get hurt and Gabriel Jesus or Iggy Nacho is going to step in. De Bruyne is going to get hurt and uh, just someone else is going to step in. Like, they heard, like David Silva will step in. I don't even know if David Silva started that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ikai Gundogan hasn't even played yet. This team is both these teams. Like, you know, Juan Mata gets hurt. All right, we have Henrik Mkhitaryan, or mm-hmm. Henrik Mkhitaryan gets hurt. Like, we have Juan Mata or Jesse Lingard. Um, Martial gets hurt. We have Memphis, like, because Martial, right, this season is doing his best Memphis impersonation. Ibrahimovic gets hurt. We have both these teams. It's just an embarrassment of riches that they've assembled right under the nose of all their rivals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that they both have scary depth. I, I still, I, I don't know. It's hard to pick against the Pep Guardiola side. They are, after all, top of the table after the first three games. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think that it really is going to be down to how they manage injuries, but they've got that depth. But on the other side of it, I mean, if I'm a West Ham supporter – I've got to be a little disappointed at the start of this season. I mean, you know, they're a team that... Their whole team's hurt at this point. Yeah, but I mean, they're a team that, like, certainly exceeded expectations last year. But I think that, you know, this was uh, just another chapter in the West Ham without Dimitri Payet is mid-table at best. And West Ham with Dimitri Payet is... They are. You know, they... They don't really have a great squad. And, I mean, think about how many of those games last year were Dimitri Payet just doing something crazy to get them the three points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also just like, that stretch where he was injured, kind of what was it, like December to January? Yeah, or, they they just they couldn't get a win. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they got a single win. I don't even know if they saved a point. Uh, it's, it's, it's just frustrating because, you know, Dimitri Payet's one of those guys who underachieved for so long, and Slavon Bilic seemed to get the best out of him last year. And then it was just, all right, but can he perform that village? And he goes to France, and while France can't figure – France was – in the group stage of the uh, Euros, France was pretty much West Ham. They couldn't figure their stuff out either. Mm-hmm. And Dimitri Payet was just bailing them out time and time again. And then in the knockout rounds, they started to figure it out, and that's when Griezmann took over. But you still saw the, the brilliance of Dimitri Payet, so you, it, it puts in your mind this won't just be like a one-year wonder. Yeah. And you're ready for him to come back and do magical things again. And, I mean, he, yes, he's hurt. So, you know, it's not to say that the blame is on him. But you're watching your squad and it's, it's been rough. Granted, they also had a, a fairly difficult schedule to open up. They had to face Chelsea and Man City in the first week. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty tough. I mean, the first month. Uh, well, we'll be uh, back here towards the end of the week with a preview of international action. Uh, that does it for our EPL fixtures from match day three. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Keats was better. Pauly. Mine is P WFN. And I'll be, I'm, I'll sure be very exciting September 10th when, when the premier league comes back and we get Pep 
versus Jose round one, except I don't want to promote it like that. I hate promoting it like that. Oh, it's this is not about the managers. Let's yes, it is. Make it about the managers. Oh my gosh. This is City and United. <laughs> All right. Like this isn't this isn't Fergie and and versus Wenger when Arsenal and United weren't big rivals until those two guys came around and they started duking it out at the top of the table and it was and it became about the managers. This is City and United. This is the blue half of Manchester and the red half of Manchester. This is first place. This is second place. These are the top two teams in the league. Let's not make it about just another battleground for the Jose versus Pep war. Having said all that, Jose wins. Oh, it's, yeah. I, it's, it's totally about that, though. because And the, that's why I hate the fact that he's our manager. I know, I know. But the, but the other side of it is that, you know, you were saying that it's not this big rivalry between Arsenal and United until these two personas get there. But at the same time, right, like, City have only broken onto the scene and made this rivalry a real rivalry since they were, you know, purchased no, by oil billions six that. years ago. Don't you dare say that. No, of course not. Of course it's still a that. rivalry. This has always been the Manchester Derby, City versus United. Maybe it wasn't, you know, one of the biggest rivalries in England, but it's always been yeah. City, United, we can go back to 1968. You know who won the league in 1968? Tell us, Polly. City won the league in 1968. You know yeah. who remembers that? Nobody, because well, United won the European Cup. Okay. And that infuriates City. But let me, that infuriates them. No, but let me, okay, let me give you a, a counterexample, which is Leicester City and Nottingham Forest. Those teams hate each other. They're still bitter rivals, but, you know, the rivalry is not what it once was because Leicester City are defending champions of England. And tot- and I almost called them Tottenham. Nottingham okay. Forest are now, you know, now two give below. one of them, give one of them Jose, and give the other one Pep, and and try telling them, and then think about how their fans will feel if when they when they play each other now, the media just says, "Oh, it's Pep versus Jose." No, this is Leicester versus Nottingham. This yes. is a long-standing rivalry. Yes. That's my point. But yeah, no, I, I mean I agree with you, but I, what I'm saying is that like. You know, if Leicester stay up, let's say they stay up the next five years and four years from now, Nottingham Forest are also in the Premier League and field a strong side. Like, then the rivalry is renewed in a way that the Manchester United City rivalry was renewed six years ago with the massive influx of money into Manchester City, the new stadium. But also, you know. Well, the new stadium came way before that. I don't know. I just. It's always been there. Even the year before that they got the takeover, well, they got the takeover in the, in the uh, fall of 2008 and the 2007-2008 season, which is when United won the Premier League and the Champions League. City did the double over us that year. That didn't sit well with us. Yeah. City didn't get the money, uh, and we beat them. And then there was that year where City finally thought that they were going to get the one up on us, and then Rooney scores that bicycle kick goal against them. And then the following year, they come back. They they put the six one on us. You know, this is a this is the rivalry that's a lot bigger than Pep versus Jose. Yeah, it is. But it but it also it has it has that quality of it. It's you know it's like the rumble in the jungle. It's Pep versus Jose in England instead of in La Liga. But it is nonetheless City United. We can give that. We are going to talk a lot about it. All right, well, thanks for joining us, and see us again with the international break at the end of the week. And the world is left to wonder, how on earth did that happen?